The metaverse is emerging as the next big technology platform and promises to become the next frontier for human experiences on the internet. Into the Metaverse covers companies, technologies, and trends that are bringing this promise to life. Join thought leaders Matthew Canterman, CFA, the Director of Research at Ball Metaverse Research Partners, and Jonathan Raz Friedman, founder and CEO of SuperSocial, as they interview the brilliant minds building, shaping, and investing in the Metaverse. Welcome to episode 19 of Into the Metaverse. This week, we're going to stick with the Web3 theme from our last episode and dive into all things crypto wallets, digital identity in the Metaverse context. And today joining us, MetaMask's Taylor Monahan. Before MetaMask, Taylor was previously the founder of MyEtherWallet and before that worked in web development. Taylor, welcome. Great to have you with us today. I'm super stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. Before we dive in, we just have a short announcement to share with you. Okay, so Taylor, let's get right to our favorite first question. This is a question we ask all of our guests, and it actually helped to build that sort of consensus of all things metaverse. And we also learned how much our community really appreciate that we're inviting this diverse perspective so no one monopolizes what is the metaverse. And so with that in mind, how do you metamask and maybe even more broadly consensus define the metaverse, at least as of today, um, and also what it is not, and how does Web3 technologies fit into your definition of the metaverse? That, yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's, uh, I think everyone has their own perception of like what the metaverse is. I think that like the most, one of the most common ones is like this, uh, this like newfangled VR world where like we all are represented by avatars and running around with like, you know, in a kind of janky way. Like sometimes you might like run through a table or into a wall or whatever. Um, I think for me, I sort of, you know, a lot of my focus is more on like the web three concept and like um, evolving from the current state of like the internet and the corporations and, the social media giants to something like better that puts the power into people's hands. Um, and I sort of extend that definition to the metaverse. Like, so instead of thinking about like, I don't know, uh, Zuck's attempt to uh, turn us all into like headset wearing junkies, I like to think a lot more about um, how do we build systems that um, like have no borders and how do we make sure that those systems actually serve the people that are um, you know, participating in or contributing to, uh, how do we make sure that they don't exploit people? You know, how do we fix some of the mistakes that we've made in the past? Uh, and that's, that's sort of how I define it. Cause otherwise it gets really, uh, it's really depressing if you go too deep down, like the mainstream media's definition of it. I think you hit on two important things. I kind of like to always pick some out from our guests, what they talk about and. And one you talked about is the evolution of the internet. Um, you know, not the Zuckerberg VR Oculus, whatever they're going to call it now going forwards, view reality labs, view of things, but, you know, just the evolution of the internet. You know, I work with Matthew Ball now. That's kind of, you know, he wrote the tome on the metaverse, and that's exactly how he frames it. I think it's important to not be deterministic about technology. So, you know, extrapolating beyond VR and saying, hey, this can be accessed through any device when you take it to the Web3 side. And this is tying into what you were saying. 
you know, Web3 does a lot of interesting things around governance, about building the financial rails of the future internet economy. You know, there's so many things that it can do around identity that we're going to talk about. And so, you know, without being deterministic about which technology will do that, there's lots of reasons to think that Web3 technologies will play a significant role in at least large portions of what the metaverse is to some degree in, in enabling those factors. And, and, and you know, I, I, again, I think it's because we're at such a nascent stage, it's, it's, it's always important to keep in mind that we can't be deterministic about that. But it is really exciting to see companies building these building blocks, these, these guardrails for what the economy of the metaverse is going to look like. Mm-hmm. So, Taylor, before... Go ahead, Matthew. No, I was going to get into the next question. And so before going into the specifics of Web3 and the metaverse further, for our audience that is less familiar with MetaMask, you know, I only got turned on to it because Yon mentioned it as a good wallet at one point. Um, but, but could you provide them with an overview of what MetaMask actually is and how it differentiates from other wallets that are out there? Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, as you sort of alluded to, MetaMask is a wallet, um, and that means that it is a... Uh, for us specifically, it's a non-custodial way for you to uh, be able to like access the wonders of the blockchain, uh, specifically Ethereum, but Ethereum now has sort of expanded to be um, like a pretty diverse range of chains that sort of like are very interoperable. So we have a lot of layer twos. Um, there's also a lot of changes, chains that have like compatibility with the EVM, which is like the base layer of Ethereum. Um, and so MetaMask works with all of those. Um, and the sort of, I guess the biggest difference between MetaMask and maybe what people are familiar with is uh, one, we do not hold your funds. So we are not like Coinbase. Uh, we are not a custodian. Um, we are a piece of software that like we build and we ship um, and you use to, to uh, hold your own stuff and interact in your own ways. The other thing is that it's not, um, it's not just like this app that just sits there and shows you your money and then you can like send it around whenever. It's uh, it's really a way to interact with like all the different dApps in the ecosystem. Um, so we have both mobile and like the extension and the extension is sort of like the, the OG product. Uh, it actually still has more users than mobile, but mobile is catching up fast. Um, and it's really like any, any dApp is compatible with MetaMask. So like if you wanna go to Uniswap, um, if you want to, if you want to get into all the DGen stuff that people have been doing, if you want to do NFTs, if you want to do OpenSea, like it's a, it's a whole range of stuff. Um, and like the most sort of common way that people interact with those is, uh, they sort of connect to their MetaMask and the MetaMask sort of, uh, provides like a layer of separation. So like your assets, your digital assets, um, and like the secrets that protect those assets, that doesn't necessarily get passed to the DAP. Like the DAP is like separate. Uh, and so, you know, even if you're on a malicious app, it doesn't, uh, you have to take a couple extra steps before you, uh, get all your, your funds stolen. Um, and, uh, yeah, it kind of helps, I guess it lets, it lets the application developers like build and focus on what they're good at building at and not, uh, not building like another wallet. Right. <laughs> so we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna dig in on that and expand a bit on um, MetaMask is kind of the functionality and the promise and what it helps people do and what kind of we ex- can extrapolate about that in terms of identity. 
So thank you for the background. I'm sure our audience would, would appreciate kind of the quick introduction for those who either use or don't use yet MetaMask. But I want to take the conversation to a maybe a bit more either kind of philosophical or, or, or principal conversation and, and talk about kind of the, the opposite ends of the spectrum of crypto adopters or, or Web3 adopters. So, you know, on the one end of the spectrum, we have the kind of techno anarchists or another way to describe them would be maximalists um, that want everything completely decentralized, that only use physical wallets and, and want to know intermediaries in their lives. And on the other hand, you know, we have, for lack of a better term, <laughs> sort of beginners, which can be really any age, anywhere from grandmas to, you know, people who could care less about crypto and what Web3 means for the future of humanity, who won't ever be, be able to figure out the complex web, as, and that's an understatement, right? The complex web of wallets and protocols that crypto enthusiasts and maximalists deal with every day, and to be honest, get excited about. Um, and so how do you, as, you know, among the leaders of MetaMask today, and more broadly as the member of a, of a Web3 community of builders and creators, I mean, you're part of a very big group called Consensus, which have multiple ventures and services in the world of blockchain and Web3. How do you build, how do you think about building tools, features, protocols that address a multitude of audiences with, with these opposites, opposite needs and, and, and entry points and understanding of Web3. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is the million dollar question, right? Like, how do you build a product? Trillion dollar when... question. <laughs> Trillion dollar question. It is. It really is. It is. Uh, yeah. How do you build a product where your users are like so diverse, like the really literally the entire spectrum? Um, the other question is like, how do you build a product and make, you know, good product decisions when you don't actually really understand what your users are doing currently? And like, you also are fully aware that like, you don't know what they're going to want to do next year, right? Like NFTs, um, that was like slightly different because we sort of had been talking about NFTs for a while, but, um, like DeFi summer, like we didn't see that coming. Nobody saw it coming. And I'm not even going to try to predict what comes, uh, what comes next year or the year after that or the year after that. And so, uh, yeah, how do you make decisions? How do you build something that's useful? Uh, it's interesting. It's, uh, it's like what I spend most of my days thinking about. Um, the approach that sort of philosophically we've taken is um, we want MetaMask to be able to serve like all of these people. Um, and we want MetaMask to be able to like keep up with the ecosystem. And I really want to emphasize like this ecosystem moves fast. Like when it decides that it's going to go all in on something, um, like you have to race to keep up. Uh, even as a user, you have to race to keep up. You have to dedicate like an, an insane amount of energy to it. And as a builder, there's, you know, we sort of realize like there's no way for us to keep up realistically. Like you would have to have an, an immense team. You would have to be like in perfect lockstep. You would have to have like perfect analysis. You would have to like, you know, all of this stuff. And it's really like at the frontier and like pushing, it's really pushing uh, on like so many different emerging markets. And so uh, when you kind of like start to grapple with it, the, the really, the answer that we came to is like, well, maybe we should let the experts build uh, you know, build it because they're the ones that are already building it and they're the ones that like know. And so for the last couple of years, um, we've been building what what's referred to as MetaMask Snaps. Um, and these are sort of like little 
Um, they're like little add-ons that uh, like individual dApps or individual developers can create that sort of specifically hook into MetaMask in different ways to give uh, the developer more access to the functionality of MetaMask, but also give the end user, you know, just like deeper integrations and like custom functionality that's best for them. And the best thing about this, and like, this is kind of like our, we're kind of all in on this idea. The best thing about it is like, um, so many of our product choices we're forced to choose. Like, okay, if we choose that, like, we want to make it a big priority to keep people safe, um, that inherently means that like, we're going to be sort of restricting some people's ability to use the product on the other end of the spectrum. And in the same way, if we like leave it a complete free for all and like say that like it is, uh, we must allow every single person to do anything that they want, um, then we watch people lose their money and like a lot of people lose their money. And so uh, ideally like the sort of the way that, that this gets solved is like the MetaMask core product is, is still there um, and it sort of like provides the core functionality and the things that you trust your wallet to do. Um, but you then sort of like hook in these little add-ons that, that are based on like what you want to do, your experience level, um, maybe like what your friends recommend. Like I know that, you know, most of my friends, like I introduced them to crypto, uh, and I got them set up with their first wallet. And so like, there's a future where I could like set them up with MetaMask and like, you know, like add on the little like safety ones and be like, all right, don't get too degen on me. <laughs> Don't believe someone who's telling you that you're going to get a free board ape, you know, and like kind of lock them down. And then, um, you know, even though that individual person is restricted from like doing, taking certain actions or exploring certain things, um, it's not, it's not something that like MetaMask as a product or MetaMask as a team or consensus as a company, like we have no say in that. We're not restricting it on a universal level. We're leaving it up to like a very localized, uh, small sort of, you know, like, yeah, if your friend wants to lock you down, you know, like, hope you trust your friend, um, you know, but obviously then as that person gets more experience and learns about the ecosystem, you know, they can like expand out, you know, and, uh, you know, turn off the parental controls or however you want to refer to them. Um, and this is like, you know, this functionality isn't just uh, about like, you know, uh, putting the training wheels on for your friends. It's also like, you know, so many of these apps have, um, uh, like unique things where if MetaMask did X or did Y, the experience for the end user would be better. Um, and instead of trying to like integrate all the things into the wallet and then keep them all up to date and then maintain them all and then, you know, keep track of the hard forks against, you know, all the different chains and uh, make decisions about like when to support and not support. We're just like throwing up our hands and saying, okay, we're going to give every single builder the ability to do that if they are the expert in that. Um, and to like attract users and to improve users' lives. And then, yeah, that's, that's, that's the game plan. We're not quite there yet, but we're getting there and I'm super excited so, about it. So, so I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna double click on one thing. Um, yeah. We are obviously at a very early stage of the adoption of wallets as a gateway for individuals into hopefully a metaverse, but for now it's, mm -hmm. Web3 uh, in, in a more specific way, which doesn't necessarily mean a 3D internet and all of those things. So I'm very curious at the MetaMask level, without getting into any information you can share publicly, how are you thinking about audience development from a user perspective? Because obviously we're still at that very early stage. I don't know. I think there's 
um, a few dozens of millions of users on MetaMask, right? And between going from 20, 30, 40 million to 400, 500 million, I think we're a long way from that and it's going to take time. And so today, if, you, if we think about the near term from a, from, a, from a focus perspective of where MetaMask is an organization and a product focus on, could you educate us a bit more on who is that core audience that you're really going after? Who are the folks that may be important in the future, but you're not prioritizing yet? And, 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 and what do you think from a MetaMask perspective could be a reasonable timeline where we can really look at a 100, 200, 300 million MetaMask users? Yeah, so we actually sort of have like a dual approach to this. Um, within consensus, the sort of like, you can call it like the core MetaMask team, the people that are very uh, ideologically driven by like very open, permissionless, long-term, uh, like we, we value the long tail and we value the uh, leaving everything very open and uh, we want to enable all the things. That's sort of like the, the core MetaMask group. Um, and uh, for us, it's like, you know, our, our primary, I guess, audience is actually developers. Like we want to empower developers and we want to empower builders because we see them as like the ones where, um, you know, even if we never actually like go down and chase users or try to like bribe users into using our product, uh, if developers like build useful things and if MetaMask is a useful tool to enable those developers to like uh, either gain users or provide a superior experience for their users, then we see MetaMask as like uh, being a, a successful and a valuable product. Uh, however, <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard sell for some people. And so we have um, other teams that are providing, um, you know, maybe like before we realize like sort of like our end goals and, and get somewhere we're like, it's super successful in every single way. Um, we have a lot of teams working on stuff that, that are uh, more immediately valuable. And so these teams are like, one of them is called MetaMask Institutional and like they have a very narrow user set uh, and they're going after like funds and like crypto native funds and people who need um, like, honestly, like they need more controls. Like they need more control over like um, the permissions required before a transaction gets sent out, right? So like either a multi-sig via Gnosis Safe or via any one of the, um, like the KYC custodial providers. Um, and I think that that is like um, super valuable, right? Like these funds wanna access Web3 uh, and they can't right now with MetaMask because we sort of only provide this uh, you know, we don't want to KYC our users. <laughs> that's that's not that's not part of our plan. Um, but because of that, like, there's this whole secret recovery phrase, and these, you know, we don't have the controls that they need. We don't have like the specific um, like reporting that they want. And so, by uh, sort of like uh, adjusting MetaMask and integrating with these other partners, they can really focus on serving that audience. And then, hopefully, in the long run, like we sort of like. It's sort of like a fork now, and then we, we you know, we'll go on our own paths. And then ideally at the very end though, like we merge back together and like our product can serve everyone. Um, and there's a few different initiatives around this. Like we're um, obviously swaps we have built into MetaMask. Like that's a feature that we saw as like immensely valuable to users today. Again, in the long run, is that something that's gonna be sort of part of the core wallet? Or is that something where we are, MetaMask is just aiming to serve um, like to enable other developers to provide these like superior experiences and, and hook directly into the wallet. 
Um, same goes for like bridges, right? Or like uh, yield opportunities or staking. You know, like the question that we ask ourselves a lot today is, um, you know, what is worth having in the wallet uh, in the long term? What is worth like sort of delegating out? How do we create like really frictionless experiences between it? Um, how do we improve like the interaction points uh, for DApp developers to empower people to like actually build really valuable things in, in a useful way so that like, you know, the end goal is like the, the whole pie grows bigger, right? Like we're not trying to like sit and capture stuff. Um, we, we actually want to create new value. Um, and and that's, uh, we've done an okay job at it so far, but I think we can do a much better job and, and we'll get there. I mean, it's good to be developer driven and be focused on what the users and developers want. And that's not only unique to Web3. I mean, that's anything that's been successful in software and technology has been user driven first. And so that makes tons of sense. I do want to go, since you opened the Pandora's box talking about some regulation things, we have to talk about regulation because we, you, can, you can't not talk about regulation when you're talking about crypto and, and everything. And it's a big talking point, and obviously this kind of goes back to the opposite end of the spectrum that Yon alluded to with, with the different user bases and everything. It's There's certain people that don't want any regulation whatsoever. They want to do things on their own. I'm somewhere in the middle. I understand that people don't like the existing system, but I also understand that this is money and we can't operate a money system outside of the existing systems because that's just never going to happen realistically. Like, I'm just rational about that maybe you disagree but that's just how i view it and, and and then there's other people who are just like they want it to work like paypal like they don't want any considerations at all they you know that's part of what made paypal so successful in web 2 is you just sign in with paypal and amazon and you don't have to worry about credit cards bank accounts and anything it works everywhere and so i'm curious where you know you but also metamask is a whole kind of stand on this whole thing and and as you mentioned, kind of tailoring different offerings for different audiences, because there is, you know, there's lots of, it's, there's by no means a consensus on this amongst the, the user base. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is a, especially right now, a very timely subject. I think that, um, so I think if we like actually like take a step back and ask ourselves like, why the hell did we have regulation in the first place? Uh, there's like a lot of really complex answers, but like at the end of the day, the, the, the reason really um, is like, well, we think that like there's some things in this world where people are incentivized to do things that sort of harm the whole, like the society. Um, and without having sort of like some party that corrects that, things are going to get worse and people are going to be harmed. And so the way that the current sort of our current world view uh, has decided to take things and things have obviously like gotten very convoluted over time is okay it's the government's job to uh you know uh put up the boundaries to try to correct the things that are happening that are bad um and like we see with the sec like one of their mandates specifically is to uh is like investor protection right which which really fundamentally means like you know ensuring that uh some party is not taking advantage of investors and the way that they've done this i think is like where we actually a lot of people disagree right like their approach has been very uh, paternalistic, to say the least, right? It's like, okay, just limit people, like just put these, um, like just just sort of put people into very generic boxes and say that like, if you don't have enough money, then you can't interact, you can't invest. Done, now you're safe. And like, I think that that's, um, it's the opposite of empowering, first off, 
uh, second, it makes the SEC the enemy of everyone who's like not, you know, in the one percent. Um, and it just sort of like entrenches like the current sort of like system of like, you know, it doesn't it doesn't really empower people to break out of whatever their current life situation is. Right. Like you're kind of stuck there. If you can't invest, you can't you can't go. You can't really have that upward trajectory. And that's why we see, you know, sort of the gap getting larger and larger and larger. Um, that said, at the end of the day, I think that we should all just like agree that like uh, like one person stealing another person's money is a bad thing. It doesn't help society. It doesn't make the world a better place. Um, it actually like harms society, like objectively speaking, it is bad if people are just running around stealing from each other. Uh, it infringes on people's individual rights. It, it infringes on liberty as well, like it, it does. Um, and so how do we fix that, right? And like the answer is not necessarily, okay, let's let everyone do whatever they want because what happens in that case is that uh, people steal from each other, right? People try to put themselves ahead of the group um, and it sucks, but that's how, what it is. And I think that like crypto is going to have to come to a reckoning with this and it's going to do so um, in some ways by like rebelling against the regulation and trying to avoid and dodge the regulation. But I think at the end of the day, like we are going to have to figure out how to make these systems safer. Uh, I'm not one to say that like we should do so by by just like trying to comply with the existing systems like wholeheartedly. I would much prefer if, um, you know, the I think the word a lot that people use is like self-regulation. I'm not sure if that's like the best descriptor of it or if the name matches the description, but I think that like, you know, if we define the the outcome that we want, right? Uh, and if we figure out how to make system, the systems that we're building and incentivize the behavior that we want in a way where like that outcome is the only outcome possible, I would say that that's like quote unquote self-regulation. And I would say that that's like probably the uh, like a, a good way to go about it if we're successful at achieving the objective. Um, and I think that, you know, obviously I'm talking like a, a bit about the SEC right now, but a more timely one would be uh, the U.S. Treasury, uh, specifically like the sanctions that we're seeing um, and how we, you know, we're watching it, it really closely and we're watching this develop and listening to both the community and users and understanding our users' needs. But at the end of the day, uh, we are a U.S. company and we will comply with the law because otherwise we will not be a company at all. Uh, <laughs> we will not have a product. So we will comply with the law. Um, but, you know, I think that like, yeah, I think that, that one of the questions that I have for myself, which I, I cannot answer, I don't think anyone can answer in this space right now, is like, are we okay with nation state actors who are hacking the system that we are building? Are we okay with them then using our products to launder their money to eventually get it back to their efforts, which like the research shows that their efforts are building nukes so that they can like sort of force themselves to be on like quote unquote equal ground with, uh, yeah, with like the West, with the US, with Europe, right? Like, are we okay I, with I, that? I, I think you summed it up nicely. You know, there's, and this is why it really just comes down to dialogue. There's no right answer to anything. You know, I'm familiar with the SEC side and the financial community, and it's like, and it's people point to the CFTC as like they launched Bitcoin futures a long time ago. Why doesn't the SEC just approve a Bitcoin ETF? It's actually very different, right? With a with a futures contract, there's no dollars going into the crypto ecosystem. That is a purely fiat currency based investment product, and so there's no Bitcoin actually being bought and sold there. 
So they don't care. They're like, yeah, sure, whatever. It's, it's an oil future. Cool. Um, but, you know, the SEC, when you're when Galaxy, for example, is trying to talk about, you know, taking GBTC and turning it into an ETF, all of a sudden you have real dollars going into real Bitcoin. And if they don't know where those dollars end up, to your point about enabling bad actors potentially, that's why they have concerns. And so th it makes sense. You know, we don't want to be funding North Korea's nuclear weapons. I don't think anybody does. And so there's clear reasons to have regulations what shape they take who's in charge of them whether it's a government whether we need a multi-governmental DAO of some sort built to handle all of this i don't know what the end solution is but i think it's clear that we can't just let things run crazy and have no guardrails in place because by the way that's how we built the internet as it is today and look what we ended up with well i i i'm just gonna add i'm just gonna add that this is obviously a, a, a huge conversation and a site of some really interesting ideas like what happened if the SEC is a DAO. Um, um, what I want to talk about more concretely is at the end of the day, and I think that's where the rubber meets the road, this is a new frontier. And I think it would be very wise that there is going to be a discourse and collaboration between the different stakeholders because guess what? Regulation, what, it is, what is regulation? Regulation is, a, is, is the deployment of a set of principles that are controlled by an entity that operates under the power and the purview of a government, which is basically a legal entity. And so that, that is not going anywhere. And I know that there is all sorts of things happening now in initiatives like the network state that I'm, I'm in the process of reading, which is interesting. And sure, technology is really undermining the, 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 the core fundamentals of what a nation state could be. But the, these are all very, very long-term consequences that will take time to unravel. I do believe that it is absolutely, it would be prudent for both the regulators or government entities and for different stakeholders in this new frontier, if it's crypto companies, crypto institutions, to really have a discourse because at the end of the day, if there isn't a discourse, when and there will be regulation, it will probably be overextended. And if there isn't regulation, the greed and the lack of control are going to surpass even what is happening now, which is also not good. And so there has to be a, 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 a sort of silver lining, I hope, in order to push innovation and not create a crypto environment and a Web3 environment that will hamper innovation and ultimately enable the US to fall behind some other countries. So there, there are a lot of consequences, but, uh, and so I, I do want to switch gears though. So Taylor, if, if you do have one last comment on the topic, go ahead. I would like to switch gears back to identity. Yeah, uh, I mean, I have so many comments, but I think I think that we did a pretty good job of summing this up. Um, it is a huge conversation, and I would love to talk about identity at some point here. So, so switching gear to identity, part of the metaverse promise, at least in our kind of perspective as a as a as as a podcast, is that it's really going to enable give the ability to anyone to manifest their personality through you know, quote unquote, these avatars. Maybe sometimes these avatars are 2D and we believe a lot of those avatars are going to live in as 3D form factors over the internet, right? Kind of modalities. And so we would love to hear your perspective. Could be personal point of view, even better if it's also kind of 
the MetaMask point of view, uh, what do you think identity will mean in the future when people could potentially and, and most likely will have several, several identities in the form of an avatar? Um, and what did it potentially mean for businesses, enterprises, brands who are going to serve and interact in this new paradigm of users and consumers? Mm -hmm. Wow, we are, these are such big questions. Um, this yeah, is what we do here. Really <laughs> um, I love it. No, no I love softballs. it. <laughs> um, okay, so identity. Um, oh gosh. Okay, so one of the things that um, I think is fundamentally different about like sort of what we're trying to build and, and sort of how things work today is um, uh, one, like our identity and our reputation are very intertwined and like uh, we sort of like require all of your information about like who you are and what you are and how other people define you, like legally speaking, like my name and my address and all these things. Um, we like associate that with like your credit score and then we associate that with like, you know, all this other stuff and then we link property to it. And it's just like a, it's, it's quite a big mess and it's like all reliant on this like thing that you're assigned at birth, which is like your name and your social security number in the US or, you know, the equivalent in other countries. Um, and like, it's, uh, it then, you know, has resulted in uh, this, this identity then like being sort of like linked out to all these like your, you have your Facebook and you have your Twitter and like, we try to restrict what we're giving to them. But at the end of the day, like if they have enough information about you, they have everything about you. And it's like immutable and like, you don't really even know what people know about you and like on and on and on. I think the best example is one that, uh, uh, I think, yeah, one of my, one of my friends, Billy Ludke, who's working on very deeply on identity, he, he uses this example and I love it. It's like when you go, uh, to a bar and you show your ID, the reason that you're showing your ID is because you want to prove that you're like of age, but like, why do we like, why are we handing all of that information to like some bouncer at the door when they just need to know, like, uh, like here is like, you're not even your age, but they just need to know that like true or false, you are of age or not of age. Right. Um, and you know, it's not as uh, scary when it's like, you know, this random bouncer who's gonna like physically just like look at your ID really quick and then move on with their life and not remember anything tomorrow. That's very different when you get into like uh, blockchain land and metaverse land where things are now stored, things are now not uh, like a like a fleeting physical in real life moment, but you know, like, um, do you, do you want to walk around and show like your like government issued ID to every single person to get in the door? Like, no, like, what do they need? Um, what do you need to prove? Um, and the other opportunity here that we can really improve upon is like, um, is like these things can be like actually verifiable, right? So you can actually provide less information about your identity or your reputa reputation. You can provide less information while having that information be sort of like, uh, cryptographically provable, right? And like, that's a remarkable, really, really remarkable place to be. Um, the other thing that I'm thinking like very heavily about is like, uh, what does identity actually mean? Like we have so many different facets to who we are and how uh, the different things that like make us up. Um, I think that like even as we portray ourselves in different environments, like when I'm with my family, 
like I have a daughter, she's going to school now, like the person I am when I drop my daughter off at school with all the other moms dropping their kids off at school is a completely different person than the person I am on Twitter, right? And that's a different person than the person I'm with, like when I'm with my actual family, you know, in a cool environment, which is different than when I'm at a crypto conference or like after a crypto conference, when I'm not with my daughter and I get to like drink at the bars at midnight and stuff. <laughs> Right. Like those are very different facets. And I uh, uh, again, it's it's a lot easier to keep those separate when they're sort of like, uh, you know, a lot of it is is sort of ties back to this like really physical, localized, like in real life situation. If we imagine a future where most of the stuff that we are doing and most of the people that we're interacting with are uh, happening in like VR land or uh, hopefully like a better a better sort of representation um you know do we want all those identities to be like linked together right like if if uh someone can like double click my avatar and like like i'm dropping my daughter off at school right if they can double click my avatar and see like what i did at midnight at the conference or after the conference two weeks ago like oh god you know i'm gonna be like watching my behavior all the time, it's gonna limit my personality, it's gonna limit my confidence, it's gonna make me second guess myself. Uh, we're gonna end up with a really like generic conforming society of like non-rebellious people. And like, that's the worst future that one can imagine or that I can imagine. I don't like that future. So I think that yeah. like the most important thing that we do is like, uh, number one, enable people to like understand what information they're giving up to people, um, limit it, so like make it more provable, more verifiable, but limit what's actually being shared. I think the other thing we can do is empower people to separate their identities and keep sort of like these different identities as separate as they want. Um, and that has a lot of implications on the last subject, which is like privacy, right? How do we enable people to like separate their past behavior from the current behavior in a way that like um, still enables the system to, uh, it, we have to have some sort of reputation, right? Like we can't just have everyone like have a, a big delete button. It makes it hard. That's kind of what we have going on in crypto now. It makes it hard to build like robust systems. Um, but I think that there's, there's thank goodness, there's a lot of very bright minds working on this. Uh, and I think there is a way where like, you know, um, I'm not the same person I was when I'm 18. Therefore that doesn't necessarily need to follow me and every aspect of my life. Uh, and I think that's very empowering if we get it right. I think that you said a lot of really good things there and you know yon actually brought this up to me for the first time and it's really powerful as a concept it's you know there's what eight billion people in the world or whatever but the metaverse tam is potentially 80 billion avatars right everyone has as you're talking about different versions of themselves for different circumstances there's a work matthew there's a play matthew there's a yankee fan matthew who's very depressed right now because the yankees are very bad right now um but you know so the, but there's the michigan football fan matthew who's very excited about football season so you know there, there's all the different matthews and you don't have to express all of them at the same time exactly to your point and so having the technology to bring out the version of yourself in the right circumstances in the right aspects the right experiences and interact with the right people with that self that's very valuable very powerful we're nowhere close to being able to do that but when we get there it's going to be extremely exciting because you know i like to say that the metaverse is a social movement right it's driven by human behavior and human interaction we want to socialize and we want to express ourselves 
And this is one of the foundational technologies that's going to help us express ourselves. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, um, I do want to say like one thing directly about MetaMask, like one thing that we hope that, you know, like I said, there's, there's so many people building things around identity and reputation and privacy for that matter. I'm just going to link them all three of them now. Um, and I think that like how we're sort of viewing it is like one, there's decades of research that have gone into this. Like, so we're, we're going to definitely trust the experts on this and not try to like spin up our own identity system uh, from scratch right now. Um, but we are very much looking forward to being able to like, um, to watching these systems evolve. And, and ultimately what, how like one way that MetaMask will really benefit from this is like, uh, right now you sort of have all these different, um, elements of like your wallet and all the different chains. You have the networks, you have the different chains, you have the different assets, you have tokens, you have NFTs. Uh, and then like any number of those things could be like scams, like bad things, bad actors, like honeypot scams or phishing sites or like on and on and on. Right. Um, and there's sort of like the traditional way to like, uh, try to figure out if something is legitimate or a scam is like someone makes a list in a centralized database somewhere and then someone else maintains the list and then you like give people a reporting feature and then everything is is fine but it's like not fine at all uh and like someone has to maintain that list and then they become a gatekeeper uh and then that inherently makes them also like a kingmaker and it's like not the position that we want to be in sort of how we uh see see the the work that's being done around like identity and stuff is it's also giving us a way to uh, allow, um, like allow wallet users to sort of, ideally, ready, um, just like inherently have some sort of connection to one another, and like sort of like inherently just learn from one another uh, about the things that they're interacting with, so that they can receive like truly Web three uh, native signals about the things that they're interacting with, and there doesn't have to be. Uh, MetaMask maintaining a list of tokens that we think are okay tokens uh, and it'll also like ideally uh, like significantly decrease the scams right so like if it is a scammy token that's trying to steal your money ideally that doesn't ever show up in your wallet um, it doesn't ever get traction it doesn't get your attention um, and you know there there has to be a better way than like um, a github repo with a scam list in it and I'm really looking forward to it uh, and, and this same sort of concept can be expanded out to like, yeah, literally everything that you interact with. Right. And that's why, uh, it, it does actually end up back in the identity reputation. It's not a scam list. It's, we have to solve identity and reputation in a web three native way. So before we conclude, we have one last thing we'd like to ask you, Taylor, and, and that is kind of really more of a, what's the main takeaway you want folks listen to the episode to take away what is the one thing that you want the audience to take away in terms of why is MetaMask so important? Ooh, okay. That's not as big of a question as the other ones, but that, okay, that's still a big one. <laughs> um, one huge thing, okay, so um, if we're gonna build like a truly better system, right? And like, when I say that, I mean like, uh, the society that we live in and we operate in tomorrow is better than today. And it's like every single day gets better and better and better. Then we need to, um, like we need to give everyone in this world, like the tools to be able to like access and unlock their full potential. 
uh, and to like give everyone like the tools and the ability to uh, create new value, right? Not just like moving value from point A to point B, but actually creating new value. Um, and that's like step one is like have the tools, have the ability. Step two though is like we have to actually empower them to do that. Um, and the way that I kind of like think about this is um, so you want to like give people confidence. You want to give them like uh, you want to tell them like you can do it. Like I have total faith in you. Uh, there's a lot of ways to empower people, but like ultimately the person has, it comes from within themselves. They have to like feel like they're, they're entitled to this thing. They, they, they can do it. They have confidence. Like they're going to go grab life by the balls. Like that's ideal. Right. Um, and then I think this is the most important thing. And one thing that, um, uh, at MetaMask, we actually like, we actually think a lot about, and I think we think about this a lot more than others do is like. The, the third step to this magic of like having this better world and empowering everyone is that then um, like then we, the tool or the thing that's like, you know, helping empower people, like we have to get out of the way. Like you have to get out of the way. If we stand there like visibly and like, like it doesn't matter if we're like, um, like cheering them on or if we're like, um, crushing their hopes and dreams like it doesn't matter like it actually has the same sort of effect right like empowering people is about actually letting them level up right and letting them go and in order to do that you have to get out of the way um because otherwise like it just creates like a really weird situation so that's um that's how we think about the wallet, right? Like we want to create this thing that, that unlocks people's potential, that allows them to do anything, whether you're a developer or a user. Um, and then we want it to be like very seamless and frictionless. And we want you to forget about our existence. Uh, we want it to just be uh, like this thing that, that, that doesn't hinder you. It also doesn't like cheer you on like weirdly from the stands. Um, it just, it's just there and it just allows you to do whatever you need to do. Um, and we don't even pretend to know what your end objectives are, right? But you can do them. So that's our very philosophical end goals. An invisible enabler for human progress. That's what I'm hearing. Love it. Taylor, thank you so much for being with us today. Both Matthew and I really enjoyed hosting you and chatting about MetaMask and identity in the metaverse. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was really, really fun.